0: Uh, if you can keep that part of the Bible open in front of you, we're going to be looking back at it. And we're also going to be reading a bit more of the chapter, um, so you need to have sight of it. And so We're going to look at chapter 23 together. You uh, should have a handout in front of you, and I've put the first point here as, uh, for your sake, Jesus exposes proud religion. Last week we saw, didn't we, that pride stopped the Pharisees and the Sadducees And everyone else, for that matter, from listening, even to the answers to the questions that they'd asked. So they came with their questions, but they weren't really listening to the answers. And that was because of the pride that was stopping them from doing that. And this week, we're going to see pride again. And we're going to see what pride does for a relationship with God. It actually makes people blind, hypocrites, and it makes them enemies of God. So we're in these particularly challenging bits of Matthew, aren't we? Uh, Where Jesus and the Pharisees are going head to head. The last chapter, it was a conversation. This chapter is no interaction. It's just Jesus' words. And it's Jesus' words about them. But it's for the benefit of the people who are gathered there. We see that, don't we, in verse 1? Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees. So he's talking to the crowds. The intention throughout is to expose the religious leaders and to challenge their claim to leadership so that the crowds and the disciples are f- break free from their legalism. We've heard from Jesus before like this, haven't we? We've heard him warn the disciples about the Pharisees before. So in chapter 16, verse 6, he said this. He said, watch and beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Do you remember him saying that? And he was talking about their teaching, wasn't he? It spreads. Watch out, beware. This time, though, it's even more public, isn't it? Because they're standing right there in front of him as he says these words. These guys here don't be like them. It's pretty in your face, isn't it? And if Jesus' warning is so severe, then we've got to ask, what's the danger of what they were doing? After all, doesn't Jesus say in verse 2 that they sit on Moses' seat? And even, he says, so do and observe whatever they tell you. Well, we're going to see that they approached a relationship with God. The grounds for their own righteousness was themselves to be good enough for God. And although they knew a lot of the law and they could communicate it to people, even the implications of it. They thought that they could achieve it themselves. And it's that that keeps people out of the kingdom of heaven. So, the warning is there, isn't it, in verse um, 3 to 4? He said, Do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to pair and lay them on people's shoulders, for they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They, they preach, but they do not practice. We get a clue in verses 12 and 13 of what all this will lead to. So if you look at those verses, um, it says in verse 12, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Presumably they're the ones who are exalting themselves. And they're going to be humbled when the judgment comes. And then Jesus says in verse 13, But woe to you, hypocrites, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter it yourself, nor nor you allow others to go in. So whatever they're doing, their way of life, their way of approaching things, is not only keeping them out of the kingdom of heaven, but it's it's threatening to keep others out of the kingdom of heaven as well. Because they're saying you don't need Jesus to get you there. You can get there yourself. All you need is yourself. And God's law. But you need to do what God's law says. So let's look at the human problem then. Pride before God. This really is the the the, the heart of the human problem. The heart of everything that's wrong, the heart of all of the evil in the world, heart of everything in our hearts. That is bad and sinful. Is pride before God. And we're going to see what pride looks like in this, in this uh, example of the, um, the Pharisees. But it might, might as well be us. Um, because we'll see ourselves unsure. First of all, in verses 5 to 7, what does pride look like? Well, it says this. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Okay. Well, they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. I think the phylacteries was the, bit, the box they wore on their heads, which carried the laws. So they made them prominent uh, to be seen by others. And they made the fringes long, which was a sign that they were a rabbi, I guess. And they loved the place of, of honour at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. So from what they look like, from where they sit, to what they are called by others, they want uh, to be exalted. They want other people to think, you know, they're the good guys. They're on God's side. Pride seeks to exalt ourselves. That's what it looks like. And actually, this is one of the (laughs) exceptions in in what Jesus is going to say, because it's actually visible. You can see this for yourself. I wouldn't have to ask around too many people, I don't think, in this room to say, uh, Have you ever been to a church where someone is like this? Perhaps a leader. This is something that you can see. Jesus is saying to the crowds, This is what it looks like. It exalts themselves. They want to be, they do all they do to be seen by others, whether it's praying speaking about the Bible help, helping people charitably it's all to be seen by others because they want to exalt themselves and they're happy for people to use names that will do that um, they'll call themselves father they'll call themselves rabbi, teacher they'll call themselves pastor, apostle uh, sorry? Bishop. Bishop yeah perhaps yeah. all of these titles because that's what they are after and that's what it looks like to be proud before God, to exalt ourselves. Don't we do that a bit? Don't we do that? Because you know, when I take photos of what I'm doing, where do I want them to go? They're not for my own private viewing, are they? But therefore, other people to see. Pride seeks to exalt, exalt ourselves. That's what it looks like in verses five seven. Secondly, pride blinds us to God's righteousness, and we see that in verses 16 to 24. So we've read that bit 13 through to 15, which talks about the fact that it's dangerous. They're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven, and they're refusing others to go there too, while they're trying to stop them. In verse 15, Jesus says something quite surprising, doesn't he? He says, Woe to you again, for you travel across sea and land to make a single (laughs) disciple, and when he becomes a disciple of yours... You make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Jesus says, they become just as ready and fit for hell as you. In fact, more of these very religious people. Let's read verses 16 to 24 then, which is the second point. Pride blinds us to God's righteousness. Woe to you blind guides who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater the gold of the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells on it. And whoever swears swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So this first example of being blind to God's righteousness is seen in the way they talk, isn't it? The language they use. Because although they want to use language that makes it look like they're the the righteous ones, we can swear by God's temple, we can swear by the gold of God's God's temple, it actually betrays that they don't really know what they're talking about. Because they think that the gold in the temple is more somehow of more value than the temple itself. Or the, the Offering, the gift on the altar is more valuable than the altar itself. It's all about impressing others, isn't it? But you can swear by any of those things God said, but they, they find their origin in, origin in him. So you're, you're still swearing by him, regardless of what you're swearing by. So it's a language that, is, that sounds pious, doesn't it? The debate might be over words and what is the right thing to say, and they certainly did, did debate that back and forth. But it's actually nonsensical. It doesn't, it doesn't really mean anything. It's a distraction. And another distraction here is in verses 23, 23 to 24. This is a third woe, I think. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypoc- hypocrites, if you tithe mint and dill and cumin we just filled in our gift aid forms didn't we, before we came, as we came into church um, you didn't have to put down a section for your tithe uh, for mint, dill and cumin um, oh ok, these guys I guess was, they, they, they had such a detail to this particular law that they, the things that they bought including the spices that they were going to use for cooking they didn't trust that the person they bought them off had paid their tithes so they tithed a little bit themselves can you imagine that go to the market, okay i we've got to get a tenth of cumin a tenth of mint a tenth of the, the minute detail on this particular law and yet Jesus says it's a distraction because all the while you're focusing on that particular law you're neglecting the weightier matters of the law we might part of the law we might like to focus on because it makes us look good or we can do that but justice mercy faithfulness Malachi chapter 6 I think Uh, the, the, the matters of the law what God stands for is justice mercy and faithfulness and his laws communicate that and yet you know, by just be, by focusing on the details, uh, they're actually blind to the fact that they don't mean that at all. Blind to even what the law was about, which was the, the essence of God, who God is. His mercy, his justice, his faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, uh, another example here is they strained out a gnat. So the Old Testament said you can't eat things that are dead. Or sorry, you can't eat certain foods that are unclean. And so if a fly fell in your chardonnay, you'd have to pick it out because that is dead. You know that's an unclean animal. And Jesus uses that language here to say you're willing to strain out the gnat, but actually you're swallowing a camel. <laughs> you know. It, it, that thing might be unclean and you manage to get that out. But what about the camel? It's meant to be humorous. It's meant to be um, using picture language to show how ridiculous it is. That we would think that in one part of the law we are we are justified and yet in the other we completely neglect the rest of it. So pride blinds us to God's righteousness. You see that, don't you? They They sort of don't realise just how righteous and holy God is, whereby they begin to use words that show that they don't even understand how righteous and holy he is, and they begin to do practices which are just a complete distraction from who God is, taking it to the 10th degree and yet not really um, pleasing him, not pleasing him at all in fact. That's why Jesus is saying all this, isn't it? He's saying, Woe to you. Woe is a a thing that suggests sadness and also judgment. Shame on you. Jesus is, is, is calling them up on this. Next thing pride improves the outside but not the heart. Let's look at the next two from verse 25. Okay, you've got to look for the picture that Jesus gives in both of these. I'm going to ask you what they are. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. What are the two pictures? A cup, a plate. You're washing up. And the Pharisees would have loved to have do, done the washing because that, that was the thing that they focused on, was cleanliness and Jesus uses that whole picture to say how ridiculous it would be to clean the outside of the cup. Barry makes me a cup of tea and he gives me a cup and he says, don't worry, Robert's clean. And yet he actually just gave it a quick wipe with a wet wipe on the outside. I said, uh, Barry, what's this floating in my tea? How ridiculous to think that we can clean the outside of our lives and yet the un- inside is completely unchanged. In fact, the inside is even worse, and it's defiled. It's unclean. Imagine for these guys who are like all about cleanliness, ritual cleanliness, to say this. Well, let's get the next picture because that's even more shocking. On the outside, you are like well, you are like whitewashed tombs. So they didn't want people to touch the tombs when they went through the festival, uh, so they had to paint them to show them that that was a tomb. Don't touch it. So it was painting it to show, make it more recognisable as a tomb. Some people went to town and they did their nice beautiful uh, pastiche or whatever it is. And you know, made it really look really delightful to look at. But the idea was don't touch it, it's unclean. Jesus says, that's a perfect picture of your righteousness. And you, what you are like, because you're on the outside, you're beautiful. And yet on the inside... You are full of bones and all uncleanness. You're dead. I mean, you can't get much more unclean than that for a Jew, Jew, can you? A place of death. That's what we're like on the inside. So also outwardly, you appear righteous to others. That's the point, isn't it? But within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So what are the, what's the inside like? Well, the inside is full of greed in the first example and self-indulgence. We want to please ourselves. That's really what we're all about. The second one is you're full of lawlessness and hypocrisy. So you might look on the outside like you're keeping God's laws, but you're not. It's pretty, pretty striking, isn't it? Pride improves the outside, but not the heart. Next, next on your sheet, pride silences God's true messengers. And we see that in verses 29 to 34. Let's read that. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men, wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. This is where Jesus is driving towards. Actually, it's, it's, it's his main point for them, really, because it's not going to be long before they, they've already decided in their heart that they want to put him to death because he's speaking the truth. He's exposing what they're like. And he says you might want to distance yourself from the ancestors who rejected the prophets and killed them. But you are just like them. Because you want to silence God's messenger. You don't want someone saying, hey, this is what you're really like. And so the best way to do that is to try and get rid of it. Interestingly, Jesus says that he predicts what they will do with those who come after him. So he's going to send to them prophets wise men and scribes the apostles the disciples jesus is going to send them out he's going to say he's going to send them to them isn't he because he's already told us that in matthew the disciples are going to go to the, to these guys and that's what the book of acts is about isn't it they'm going to the jewish to the synagogues to to the places where they uh, were gathered and he predicts here what they're going to do to them some you will kill and crucify some of you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. So pride, looking back, pride blinds, uh, seeks to exalt ourselves by, by being exalted by others. It blinds us to God's true righteousness. We focus on our own righteousness and we actually are blind to his righteousness pride improves the outside but leaves the heart completely unchanged pride silences god's true messengers by wanting them dead <laughs> that's that's the picture the bible gives of our hearts of where pride before god leads what it ultimately looks like and what it brings it makes us enemies of god but what is the danger of that? Why is, why is that a dangerous thing? Well, in verse 35, Jesus gets on to what he's saying, which is that they are going to, be facing, they're going to face God's judgment. And what he says in verses 35 and 36 is that um, of all the people that were killed innocently, the A to Z are people of rebellion against God. So A, Abel the very first person who is murdered by his brother because of the jealousy and then Zechariah, one of their prophets the first to the last, the A to Z of all of those people who were re- innocently killed because of rebellion against God and against his words that blood is going to fall on your head he says doesn't he on verse 35, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. So for their proud, stubborn hearts, their hypocrisy, for their rebellion against God, this is what was going to happen. They were going to be judged. And Jesus is being kind and loving here to tell them this. But it's true. Um, Jesus says this in verse 36, Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Well, in verses 37 to 39, you'll see that it's addressed to Jerusalem. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. So it is everyone in the nation. It's not just its leaders. It's all those who follow him, follow them. And in, in those two verses, thirty-eight and thirty-nine, Jesus gives two horizons to his warning. There's the near horizon and there's the far horizon. There's two horizons. Shall we look for them? Verse 38 says, See your house is left you desolate. It's talking of the temple, isn't it? Your house is left you desolate. And in verses verse one, of the next chapter or verse 2 actually Jesus says that all of these stones not one stone will be left upon another so the near horizon of the warning of judgement is within their lifetime <laughs> Like destruction is going to come on Jerusalem because of this the temple is going to be destroyed and Jesus is talking of that as a warning But there is a far horizon as well, isn't there, in verse 39? For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is talking about his return, his coming when he returns. So there's two horizons together. That's why, by the way, we get that question from the disciples in verse 3 of chapter 24. They say, tell us when these things will be. They're they're a bit confused. And they're confused because Jesus is doing what the prophets did and squashing, collapsing human history into just one time time zone. Yeah? So you get the thing that's going to happen 30 years later, spoken of in the same time zone almost as the end judgment. So you get that in the Old Testament when they talk about the exile, the prophets talk about the exile and the day of the Lord, the great day of the Lord will come so the the imminent danger they always talked about it in view of the final danger and here Jesus is saying this is the danger of being an enemy of God this judgment is coming that's what he's saying, judgment is coming And we might be wondering why Jesus, knowing that they will ignore his warning, bothers to give the warning. There are two reasons from this passage. Firstly, it's true that in judgment Jesus will always be proved to be loving and true. No one will ever be able to say to him, you just didn't tell us. They won't be able to say that. And the Pharisees were unable to say that. And Jesus' words here, as we saw, as much for the crowds and for us today as they were for the Pharisees. The Pharisees were given time from, from when Jesus said this. And we are given time too. Even in the last hour, there were actually people in Jerusalem who recalled Jesus' warning here about the destruction of the temple and everything coming, coming crashing down. And they got out, they fled the city and their lives were spared. So even to the last hour, the people in the crowd who were there that day and heard Jesus say this, who recalled his words, they might not have done anything about it initially, but then they did and then they got out. And this is even more apparent for us, isn't it? Because we can see that Jerusalem did fall. We're in the position where we see that what Jesus said here of the the fall of Jerusalem did really happen. It did. And so we can be sure the warning he gives to us about the final judgment is just as true. And the next couple of chapters after that question from the disciples are how to be ready can we be ready for Jesus 's return? Are we ready? or is he going to find us unprepared? So this example here is given both as loving and true warning to those who are proud. they just didn't see their pride towards God. they thought they were okay. but it's also a warning for us that we might not be blind to the pride. That we have towards God. And that we might look for his safety. Jesus is loving in the truest sense. He doesn't shy away from saying the hard things. Out of vanity. Or fear for the repercussions for him. He's 100% committed to giving us the warning. Because he loves us. Why else would he give us the warning? And though we don't see the danger, Jesus sees it and he understands it far more than anyone else. You know why? Because in just a week from this moment, Jesus will die. He will fall under the judgment of God. So if there's anyone who knows what the judgment feels like, looks like, it's Jesus. So listen to him. The cross is the only way the righteous requirement of the law Could be fully met. Because it's the only way that sinners could receive Jesus' sinless perfection and that He could take the justice for our law breaking. It's the only way He could give us His sinless perfection, make us righteous in God's sight. And the only way that law breaking could be fully paid for. Romans 8, verse 3 to 4, you might like to write this down and look at it afterwards. I'll read it. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And Jesus speaks here of that safety. He says in verse 37, How often would I have gathered your children together, As a hen gathers her brood under her wings. This picture from Psalm 91 of God himself saying, I would gather you under my wings, shelter you under my wings. Jesus himself is that safety. He is the one who can shelter us from the judgment of God and take on himself the full force of it so that we would be safe. And he did all that and he warns us now so that we wouldn't have to face it. Jesus has said that he is the greatest among them who shall become their servant. How will we respond? Well, I guess if we're new to this and to church and to Jesus, without God's help, we have to know that we'll all respond to the true warning (laughs) Jesus gives in the way the Pharisees did. We're all going to go away like just offended. (laughs) by Jesus he can't say that he, he said I'm like that Pfft. you know I'm just going to go off offended and more than offended we're going to want to silence that we're not going to want to listen to the bible we're not going to go to, to a church where the bible is taught because we're going to come face to face with the fact that Jesus says that's, that's us and um, if we're new to this i have got to see that that is the proud way to respond, to say no. If, if a Christian friend has been speaking to you about this, perhaps a Christian sibling or um, someone else has shared this important truth with you or has been trying to, the temptation for you will be to try to cut them off, not talk to them. Don't pick up the phone when they ring you. They're just going to talk to me about Jesus again. Can't be bothered with that. But that would be precisely to do what what the response is here. To want to silence the messenger of God. The truth that they bring. About God's judgment. Don't be proud. Humble yourself to God. For he loves you enough to say the hard things. The true things. So that you will not have to face his judgment. When Jesus returns. So purely and simply keep listening. Keep listening. Keep finding out. Well, you might go to church, and the shocking thing here is that Jesus is speaking about people who many considered to be devout and very religious. These are people who would have been found in the synagogue. They weren't just in the synagogue, they were, they were speaking in the synagogue. So these are the people that they, they looked like everything was, was good for them on the outside they looked righteous but that made them no better off did it in fact they, were, they too were blind to their sin to what they were really like such that Jesus has to show them they're blind to it they're blind to their need of Jesus why not ask God to show you if that is you why don't we all ask Jesus if that is us? that we're just doing religious things, that we're just going along with the things that we think will make us right with God? And yet, maybe in our hearts of hearts, we haven't seen our sin and our need of Him. Maybe we're someone who has been brought to see that judgment is what we deserve, and yet we've been humbled to come to Jesus for safety. Jesus explains what his people will be about in this passage, doesn't he? They will be those who are holding out that same important message to others. Yes, they're going to experience persecution and and anger. But I don't think they'll be too surprised by that or affronted by it. Not just because Jesus himself has told them that would be the case. But they will realise that they were once those who were blind to their pride before God. As well. So, so, if people are blind to their pride before God, and someone is pointing it out or saying something about the need to see their sin, then we can expect, can't we, that there will be some pretty strong reactions. And maybe that's someone you've spoken to this week and you feel really crushed by that experience. You think, yeah, I, I, I said something. I, I, th- I thought I was doing it because I was saying what they needed to hear and I wanted to share it with them but it just blew up in my face. Don't be surprised. Don't stop. Because they, because we're blind if we don't see our pride before God. And people need to know. I, th- I guess there'll be a prayerful and yet hopeful Hopefulness in the face of persecution knowing that this is desperately what people need to hear. True we pray? Father God, thank you that you, your words are true. Thank you that you send us your son. Thank you that he speaks your words of warning and yet your words of love. Please help us to hear from him and to want to know his safety. Amen. Amen.